0: This is Attorney General Insights from the DLA Piper Law Firm. I'm your host, Matt Den. Hi, this is Attorney General Insights, and I'm your host, Matt Den, a partner at DLA Piper and the former Attorney General of Delaware. And our guest today is Iowa Attorney General Tom Miller. Tom Miller is the Cal Ripken of State Attorneys General. He has served the people of Iowa for 40 years, which is more years than anyone else has served as a State Attorney General in the history of the United States. He's a Democrat in a state which has two Republican U.S. senators, a Republican governor, a Republican state senate, and a Republican state house of representatives. And as if that was not enough, he's also the new president of the National Association of Attorneys General, making him the leader of all 50 of the nation's attorneys general. So, General Miller, welcome, and thanks a lot for being with us today.
1: Thanks for having me. And and Matt, thanks for your great public service. I really enjoyed working with you as Attorney General. We served together and I think you were Lieutenant Governor before that. You have a rich service of public service. And you know, I appreciate that and admire that.
0: I appreciate that, sir. Thank you very much. So let me take a step back and just ask you first for your big picture take on where we are as a people today from your vantage point in Iowa and just as someone who's been involved in public life. For such a long period of time, we're talking today on January 6th, you've been involved in electoral politics since the mid 1970s, which was also a time of some upheaval in American politics. You live in a state that has a mix of rural and suburban and urban areas. So what's your take on where we are right now as opposed to 20, 30, 40 years ago?
1: Well, we're in an unusual time. I don't think we've had anything like this for really quite a while, and you draw some parallels to the 70s, but there's some real differences with the 70s. We're in a period of time when the parties are more divided, more partisanship, more divisive than before. We're in the period of Trump. Trump rose a few years back, became president, and now is in control of much of the Republican Party. And that's we've never really seen anything quite like that. And we've never seen anything quite like Trump's relationship to the truth, let's say, particularly over whether the elections were valid or not in 2020 there was no coming forth of any substantial fraud in the election that would affect the outcome with months of opportunities and hundreds of millions of dollars and lawyers to prove it there was just nothing there but he continues to maintain that the election was stolen from him which is just false but is so prevalent in the country and then on top of that we have the covid epidemic that is enormously challenging and difficult in a lot of ways and then some of the dynamics that we're experiencing politically have leaked into the COVID set of issues and debates. So we're in, for better or for worse, we're in a unique time. But this is an amazing country, Matt. We've had such a great run as a democracy, in my view, and that will continue. We will work our way through this, but there are some difficulties. On the other hand, there's some really good things going on, particularly in the AG world. We're working together on a lot of issues, opioids being the current example. So it's mixed. It's unusual. Nothing quite like this. But we're a strong, vibrant country. We'll figure out a way to get through this, in my opinion. Keep in mind, I'm an optimist. Hopefully, not too much of an optimist. We'll see. Time will tell. Iowa seems like a state where
0: politics is very retail. So I know that you have an opportunity to interact directly with a lot of people doing their day-to-day lives. In terms of what you hear as you're out and about, how is it different today versus, again, 10, 20, 30 years ago, just in terms of the types of things you were talking about, democratic institutions and confidence in government.
1: Yeah. I get to what I call the community centers on a fairly regular basis. And for me, the community centers are the grocery store, the deli, and other retail places like that. And people come up and talk to me from time to time and are amazingly friendly and complimentary to our office. What we've tried to do is two things fundamentally. One is to always use the law to serve the interest of ordinary people, and secondly is to say and do what we believe in, particularly in interpreting the law. And people really like that and respect it, and I get a lot of gratifying comments, which I find really rewarding and an affirmation of what we're doing. On the other hand, when I talk to Democrats, Democrats are upset about a lot of things that are going on, and Republicans are upset for very, very different reasons. So for me, it's a little bit of both. It's a recognition that we're accomplishing our mission, which I believe to be the case. And I'm not unaware of the division that's taken place in our country and in our state.
0: You were mentioning supermarkets and delis. When I was in office, I found that if I stopped on my way home from work and I was still wearing a suit, people would approach me to talk about issues. But if I was dressed down on the weekend doing the grocery shopping, then less so. Have you experienced
1: differences in wardrobe in terms of people approaching you in the deli? No, I don't think so. Not that I'm aware of. In the grocery store, I'm not in a suit. I don't go after work, but rarely. So it's a Saturday or an evening, so I'm not in a suit. Thinking back to the deli, I don't go there. We have three restaurants that we go to often from the office for lunch. So when I'm at the deli, it's the evening or more often the weekend. So I can't verify your theory there, I'm afraid, Matt.
0: (laughs) You are up for re-election this year? What has motivated you to keep on running? You were just making reference to electoral politics these days. Generally, it can be pretty brutal. You've obviously got nothing left to prove in terms of your tenure and things like
1: that. What's motivated you to stick with it? Well... What motivated me in the beginning continues to motivate me with some additional factors. What I mean in the beginning when I got involved many, many years ago, I was really affected by three people. One was President Kennedy. President Kennedy became president when I was in high school. And he motivated a generation about public service, and I was one of those. I felt the call from President Kennedy on public service. And then was my father. My father was the deputy county auditor and then the county assessor in Dubuque County, Iowa. And I sort of grew up in the courthouse in a way and respected the people there and respected my dad and how he thought it was an honorable profession. And then the third person was John Culver. He was a congressman and then a senator. I worked on his campaigns and bigger than life character and had enormous integrity and learned a lot from him and was motivated by those three people for public service. And they continue to have an effect on my life. More recently in deciding to run again, the factors were that I was continuing to enjoy what I'm doing, have energy for what I'm doing, think we're doing some of the best work we've ever done. So thought, well, let's run again. As I tell my friends like you, this is the third time I'm running for my last term.
0: <laughs> You've had a
1: chance to serve for
0: quite a while. If you were to retire today, what are the one or two things that you would look back on over your tenure and say they were the things that you were most proud of?
1: Well, there's two different kinds. One are intangibles and others are cases or project that we've been involved in. On the intangibles, it's what I mentioned before to use the law to serve the interest of ordinary people. That's been our calling. We've done a lot in consumer protection, a lot in criminal prosecution, a lot in antitrust in different areas. That's the pole star for our office, and I'm proud of that. The other is that we've tried to do what we believe in, say and do what we believe in, particularly in interpreting the law and enforcing the law, and accompanying that, the professionalism of the office. We want lawyers that are able, have a lot of integrity, that work hard, that are interested in public service and relate well. to people. Those two intangibles are really important to me. On the cases, the three that stand out, of course, are the tobacco case, which changed a lot of things in America. The tobacco companies had never paid anything in settlement or judgment verdicts before we came along, and then I think ended up paying more than any other industry. The Microsoft case was an enormous antitrust case and a rule of law case, it seemed to me. And then the bank mortgage settlements where we got over $50 billion of aid of one type or another for homeowners. Those stand out. On the flip side, any
0: major regrets at least that you would feel like sharing with a podcast audience?
1: Well, not really. I mean, we're not perfect and we did make mistakes, but they were mistakes in good faith and we learned and lived with them. So nothing that really totally stands out. How many statewide campaigns have you run now? Well, let me see. This is the 12th campaign for attorney general that I'm running in the one we're just embarking on. And then I ran for governor as well. So this would be the 13th time that I would be running statewide. And as I think back on it, in statewide offices, I've been on the ballot every time since 1974. That seems like a long time, Matt. Are there any primaries along the way there? There was a primary in 74, there was a three-way primary.
0: Whenever anybody asks me to count, I always count the primaries as a separate election because I don't know about you, but for me those were at least as grueling, if not more grueling than the general.
1: Yeah, there's some truth to that certainly.
0: Just looking back at those campaigns, what's your favorite campaign trail story from along the way?
1: Good question. Just the supporters that I've had, the goodwill that people have extended to me, particularly in the early years when I was totally unknown. People jumped in and helped me in just a huge amount of ways. On the more humorous side, two incidents one is in 74, the Watergate year. I was at a state labor conference meeting convention. And one guy told me he's just not going to vote for any lawyers this year because of what had happened. And I said, well, in the AG's race, you have no choice. We're both going to be lawyers. And he said, okay, I'll vote for you. I will vote for one lawyer, then I'll vote for you. And the other time is in the 74 campaign, my theme was that the incumbent was concerned about the theatrics of the office, not the substance of the office. And I was doing a TV interview and it was recorded. The reporter wasn't there, but I had to record it for him. And I started out by saying my concern about the incumbent is that he focuses on the substance of the office rather than the theatrics of the office. I got the two of them turned around. (laughs) I'd been saying it too long and too often. That's great. Well, let me ask you about moving over to the
0: policy side. Let me ask you about Consumer Protection 2.0, which is your initiative as the head of the National Association of Attorneys General. What is it?
1: Well, we intend it to be very broad. We want to be very open to all the Attorney General's offices on consumer issues this year and want to engage in our initiative as many as we can and have had just an enormous positive response from virtually all the AG offices. But what our title is, is Consumer Protection 2.0, Text, Threats, and Tools. We want to talk about their threats and we also talk about their tools. And some of the things that we're focused on are, what about an even better early warning system for consumers on the basic fundamental frauds, the social security fraud, the IRS fraud, the utility termination fraud, the grandparent fraud? And how do we use social media to get the word out more quickly? And how do we educate people on the Fundamentals of those frauds and educate caregivers and lawyers and bankers to recognize one of these. Then we want to look at the intractable frauds, which one stands out the telemarketing fraud. Work has been done on that, but there needs to be more work. And it's sort of a battleground that they make a move and then we make a counter move and then they've made another move. We want to figure out how we can get ahead of them and deal with how they do things, in particular their acquisition of phone lines and their payment stream to frustrate as best we can and educate people. And then we're talking about the intersection of consumer protection and technology, which is just an enormous set of issues. We're focused on algorithms and their effect – Doug Peterson in Nebraska and T.J. Donovan in Vermont have put together a case concerning the use of algorithms in kids that Facebook and others have Algorithms that deal with as people start to use the system less and be less involved, how to bring them back in, how to suck them back in. And it's one thing to use those on adults, but it's another on kids that that's just not right. Then dark patterns, we're doing some work on that. How do you get out of a subscription in a reasonable way? And then Facebook has a whole set of issues that's in front of all of us. Already some work has been done on that. We want to do some more work on that. And we're talking to all the states to see what ideas they have and what else we can do. We want to do some good and we want to have some fun, too, as we do our initiative.
0: Some of those last few items that you mentioned are also areas where Congress and the executive branch in Washington have some interest. How do you see state AGs working in relation to what's going on federally with some of those issues?
1: Well, we want to work with them. This summer we had a great discussion with the chair of the antitrust subcommittee in the House, and Dick Blumenthal is involved, of course, on some of the Facebook issues and related issues. He's a former AG, a former colleague. So we want to work with them. But for them to accomplish something is totally different from us, they have to pass legislation through both houses and get the signature of the president. Whereas we can file a lawsuit and there's nothing to stop us from filing a lawsuit. We have to win it. It's up to the judge, but it's a different process. And in some cases, I think has greater potential of achieving success than legislation, but we'll see it. And we want to work with Congress.
0: You're the president now, but you've been pretty active in the National Association of Attorneys General throughout your tenure. In fact, I think, isn't this your second time around as
1: president. It is. And I appreciate that. I appreciate my colleagues giving me a second chance here.
0: And I think it's a given that relations between state AGs, just going back to some of the things you were talking about at the outset, they've frayed somewhat over partisan lines over the last 10 or 15 years. But it seemed like the trend really has sort of accelerated to some degree over the last five, six, seven years. Do you have that same perception?
1: Yeah, I think it has accelerated, but not to the extent that you might think or that appears. We do have some differences. We are affected by national and state politics. We're not immune from that and have had some particularly with the election and contesting of the election had some disagreements. But we're still by far the group of public officials that work together most often that have the most cooperation, most bipartisanship. Look at the opioids case. We've been pursuing the opioid companies and the distributors for a long time now. Too long. But we've been doing it basically with fifty states. We've started with an executive committee of two Republicans, two Democrats. It's been totally bipartisan and we've worked incredibly together look at the reaction to my consumer initiative. Democrats, Republicans, all interested, all supportive. What can we do? Thinking back to the bank mortgage settlement that I referred to before, we had 49 states on something that was really fairly controversial. I mean, that's the equivalent of 98 senators voting for comprehensive legislation in a contentious area. I believe, maybe it's a bias, but I believe we're the most bipartisan group and maybe by far of elected officials in the country and do work together. And it's really important for our citizens that we work together.
0: Just as someone who's now responsible for trying to hold the organization in a cohesive way and move it in particular directions, what sort of strategies do you have to put to work to have that happen in the current environment?
1: Well, a couple of things. One is, in part, we chose the consumer agenda as our initiative because we think it would be a unifying set of issues, and it's certainly turning out to be. Secondly, I try and talk to as many colleagues as I can to see what their concerns and what they think of NAG. And there's just a wide group of people, Democrats and Republicans, that are really very supportive of NAG. We have such a robust group of services for our members. The NAG tree, the training program, is just out of sight. It's terrific, and people really appreciate that. We aid each other in litigation costs. That has become incredibly important, those funds. We have a Supreme Court project that is just very, very good. We have a consumer coordination effort by NAG that is outstanding. So we're able to provide a lot of good services, robust group of services. And we look for things to work together on. We're going to try and spend more time together, AG to AG, COVID willing. That's one of the things I heard and heard from Democrats and Republicans, and in particular, Democrats spending more time with Republicans. So we're trying to do all those things to bring us together. And as far as I can tell, I think it's working.
0: Just thinking about that and some of the things we were talking about at the beginning, again, you're a Democrat who has thrived really in a state where most of the other statewide elected officials are Republicans, and you've got this historical perspective. I think we all want to be optimists about where things stand, but just in terms of practical advice that you would give to folks who are interested in trying to figure out how we put things back together again and get them moving in the right direction in a broader way. What insights would you have as someone who's been pretty successful in doing that in your state?
1: Well, for young people or people in mid-career that are thinking about running for office, please do jump in. It's really important that good people get involved in politics and hope that you run. I think the big thing is when possible, and I think it's possible more often than you think, is to hold down the harshness of the rhetoric. I think that's important. I think to get to know people on the other side, I have some great friendships, Republican attorney generals. In fact, my best friend among all the AGs is Lawrence Wasden, who's a Republican from Idaho, of course. Doug Peterson, my neighbor in Nebraska, is a very good friend. In fact, that's how I got to be president of NAG. It's a regional choice, and I thought he should be president of NAG. He thought I should be president of NAG and he won the argument and here I am thanks to him. So I think the personal relationships, the reaching out, working together on things just really makes sense. And to try and keep our eye on the long range on the future, where do we want to end up and what kind of relationships do we want to have in the future as opposed to the emotion and the controversy of the moment?
0: My last question you've had, I would assume, opportunities to run for other things over the years. You're a brand name in Iowa, and you've had great success running for attorney general over the years. Why have you chosen to stick with this office when you've undoubtedly had opportunities to run for something else?
1: Well, of course, in 1990, I ran for governor and did not win. That was a long time ago. A long time ago. In a way, that was important. When you get to be attorney general at 34, you have to have some amount of ambition that wants you to go further. And I did run for governor and didn't win. But it probably was good that I did that in the sense that Walter Mondale, who was a former attorney general, just passed away recently. An incredible guy. When I was thinking about running for governor, he and I talked and he said in the end, he said, well, Tom, you probably don't want to wake up when you're 55. I was younger than 55 then, if you can imagine. He said, when you're 55, you don't want to wake up one morning and think, gee, I wish I would have run for governor. So I sort of had to do it, had to get it out of my system, and did, and then came back to be an attorney general and continued to enjoy it very much, and had this really poignant conversation with Frank Kelly, who we had mentioned before, is the longest consecutive serving attorney general. And he said at one point, he said, Tom, aren't you glad you lost that governor's race? And I was taken a little back, but not that much. And he said, if you were a governor, you would have been a good governor, Tom, but you'd be out here doing what I'm doing now. You wouldn't be attorney general. And you wouldn't have had this long tenure, and that maybe was a good thing. And incidentally, I had a similar thought myself, without Frank's initiative, where there's a car wash on Ingersoll Avenue in Des Moines, not far from where I live. And after you come out of the car wash, as you're waiting for the car to be dried, you look up and you see the top of Terrace Hill, which is the governor's residence. And I thought at one point, hmm, maybe it was a good thing that I didn't win, that this career has really worked out well for me, and I'm very thankful for it. Well,
0: yeah. that is a perfect place for us to stop, General. We are grateful for your service, grateful for your time today, and you're at 40 years and counting, and you don't seem to be slowing down. So maybe we will circle back with you at 44 and talk to you during your next re-election campaign. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, and we can talk between now and then
0: too, Matt, of And that as well. <laughs> thank you very much for being so generous with your time and for giving us the perspective that you do. It's very much
1: appreciated. Matt, thank you for your questions and your goodwill, and good luck to you on everything. Thanks.
0: This has been Attorney General Insights from the DLA Piper Law Firm. This is your host, Matt Den. Thanks very much for listening.